you're about to hear a true story of someone who has taken life's lemons and made lemonade. I am Heidi, your host, and thank you for joining me. Christine, welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I am so looking forward to getting to know you and hearing your story. So start out by telling me just a couple of things about yourself. Okay, well, thank you. Um, one, I'm from a small town. Um, no longer in a small town, but uh, that's a big part of who I am. And I live here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, and I love it. It's really beautiful, a lot of good things to do outside. And I also really love projects that use power tools. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. And I can see like a painting back there behind you too. So you must do that a little bit too. I do. No power I, tools. I, I'm wow. a pretty creative person. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Well, good. It's good to get to know you a little bit. So you've got to take me back and share with me your lemon to lemonade story. What has happened to you and why do you do what you do? Okay, well, I thought I was making this really wonderful, socially conscious choice many years ago um, when I got out of a bad middle management job and took an AmeriCorps position working with homeless young people. And, you know, as you know, AmeriCorps is kind of like the national version of the Peace Corps. Um, so it just felt like a really wonderful, altruistic choice to make. <laughs> yeah, you're doing good, but, you're helping people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was ready to be Susie social worker from the suburbs. You know, I had, I had the whole narrative. <laughs> and my first night, I was in charge of a meal program for homeless young people. It's called Teen Feed. And it was awful. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. My purse was stolen. There were about 50 young people in the small crowded basement room of a church. My food volunteers were hiding behind a table because there were fights that were breaking out everywhere this one 14-year-old girl went. She was just very adversarial. And I just looked at all of this chaos and just shrunk in my shoes like, oh no, AmeriCorps pays me $900 a month. This is not worth it. I'm not coming back. Oh my gosh, I can't handle this. And at about that moment that I was just ready to shut it all down, I heard this voice that boomed out over the whole crowd. And, and he said, hey, little bean, knock it off. You're messing it up for the whole burrito. And everybody started being calm and no more fights. And all of a sudden they had manners and this whole room dynamic changed in that moment. And I, I got really, really curious, like, wait a minute, who, who are you people that you're so accountable to each other? Because I was very clear that even though I was technically in charge <laughs> of this mess, that I had no ability to, you know, talk to that little bean. <laughs> and so that's what got me curious. And that's how I realized, number one, I suck at conflict. And number two, I probably have something to learn from the people who are actually living on the streets and, and from their culture. Wow. So it was a fellow teen that said that yeah. to her? It was a 17-year-old young man who went by the street name of Little Bear. And, and the other young people looked up to him. He, he's, he was at that time considered a, a street dad. Wow. 
Okay, that's quite a lemon experience. So then what did you do? What did you decide to do at that point? Well, I spent the next several years figuring out why I am bad at conflict. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, you talk about the sugar and the lemonade. The sugar for me was realizing that these young people are always living in this mammalian response system. And most of us call that fight, flight, freeze, right? You know, you're in your sympathetic nervous system. You're just in survival mode. You get too big, you get too small. Um, And that that's what I was doing as I was exposed to conflict all the time. And so I realized, oh, these guys have much more history with threats to their life that are actually more real than mine are. Maybe I could learn from them. So that's that's where it really got sweet is when I started leaning in with a lot of humility that I didn't have the answers and that they probably did. That's when it got good. Um, and they started teaching me about how to handle it and how to accurately like figure out what what the problem is when things get tense. Wow. You learned that from homeless teenagers. Oh, oh my gosh. They, they, they are the kings and queens of conflict, right? Especially when you're on the streets, you have to like <laughs> quickly learn the difference between bluster and reality, right? Yeah. yeah. I think I would have hidden just like you and been like, okay, I'm not cut out for this. Why I spent a lot of time hiding. <laughs> okay. but the, you or, or coming off way too strong, like, you know, just oh, okay. over inflating and yeah. trying to be big and scary. Like neither one of those worked. Um, but I, I learned the biology behind why I wanted to do that and started to get a lot more, um, a lot more realistic with like, okay, what I could do and how to keep myself in my comfort zone, because we all do that when we're uncomfortable, we go too big or too small. That's, that's just human, human programming. Well, the good news is the more I learned, the more I got to teach other people on how to handle conflict. Um, I had a job later running a shelter for homeless young people, which was a very big uh, endeavor, 45 bed facility, the the biggest in the state. And we didn't have a lot of budget for staffing. So we needed volunteers Um, and became my job to train essentially young people who are college students in the same age as the people who were staying in our shelter, how to handle fights, how to handle conflict. Um, I got good at like taking what I'd learned and communicating it to other people. And so years later, when I decided to leave nonprofit land, I actually had something that became this viable way to support myself, which was fabulous because I love teaching people about how to be patient and kind to themselves, even when they're freaked out. And then once we can do that, we can be patient and kind with the person <laughs> who we might be a little intimidated by. <laughs> yeah, who might be the one freaking us out, right? Exactly, <laughs> right. exactly. Wow. Okay, so were you going to share some of your lemonade then, some of your tips and things you've learned? Definitely. Well, like I mentioned earlier, don't be hard on yourself. The fact that you want to go too big or that you want to go too small, that is a really, really common thing. And what we often do because our mammalian response system is kicking in is we articulate this fear that, oh, if I respond to this conflict, people are going to get hurt, right? 
that that that's that's what our little mammal is is telling us that this is time to either like get in there and fight or run like heck and and so we're so worried about violence about physical violence that we just like get too small too big or too checked out um so that's my number one thing that I train people like, okay, here's what your body is telling you. And this is actually a biological hack that's happening right now with the cortisol and the adrenaline running through your body. And here's some things that you could do to override that so that you don't become this reactive, (laughs) not so helpful self, because once you're amped up, the person who's also escalated will also get more amped up and it's just, it feeds itself and it's not good. So, so I teach people how to deescalate themselves first and to be patient with why, you know, they have that temptation. And then the other thing is where we have this myth that some of us just aren't good at conflict, right? Which is another um, lie. I think we're told, especially in a society that some groups have more clout and rank than other groups that we kind of look at this situation and it feels much bigger than us sociologically. And so I kind of help people look at rank and all of the ways that, you know, white males are on top of that. And, you know, people of color and women, et cetera, et cetera, are supposed to be somehow less capable of handling conflict. And I'm like, wait a minute, this ranking system is just another part of the mythology that keeps us from leaning in to people who are different from us. And a lot of conflict is not about those differences. It's about that confusion around those differences, right? And maybe you're actually better at conflict, especially if you're not this giant white guy who's assumed to be in charge because you're not offering threat in your, in your little social standing. You know, you're not seen as somebody who's actually a contender for violence, which is what you want. When you're trying to de-escalate somebody and and actually be an ally to them and actually talk them down, you don't want to look like you could hurt them. And and so like I help people kind of untangle like yeah that that sociology is there and when we're stressed, our implicit bias about each other is the most likely to come up. Right? You could you could go through all of the implicit bias trainings that exist out there. And the moment you get heated, guess where it goes? She's like, whoop, <laughs> it's gone because our little mammal is running the show. So again, just like, okay, here's our ranking system. Let's all be clear about it. And let's lean in and not let it make, make those calls in, in the heat of the moment. And then the other myth that I notice is a lot of that, that, you know, like, oh, this person doesn't like me. And if I don't have any rapport with this person, they're, they're not going to let me deescalate them. So I, I'm just going to like, let their friend handle it or let somebody else. And the fact is, if anybody's losing their, their stuff around you, they're already in crisis and they're looking for somebody who knows what it feels like when the walls are really caving in for you, whatever crisis you're having. And I just encourage people, like, think about the last time you really lost it, the last time you were really upset, you know, and we usually reserve that part of ourselves for our loved ones, unfortunately, (laughs) right? The last time you were hangry and people like didn't like put away the dishes, right? Or whatever, like, like think about that miserable creature, 
and how you felt and how nobody seemed like they were your friend in that moment. And once you're in touch with that one, you can be in touch with this person in front of you because the chances are, even if they don't know you from Adam, if you can connect with them on that level, like, oh my gosh, you're suffering. Things are falling apart for you right now. What do you need? You get through. And I've done it hundreds of times in high crisis situations, even with people who've never met me before. And that offer of empathy of like, hey, I, I'm here for you. What's, what's going on? What do you need? Really breaks through all of the chaos. And so I, I just encourage people, don't, don't count on that myth of like, oh, well, they don't like me or they don't know me or, oh, they'll never respect me as somebody who can help them. Like, you know what? The fact that things are falling apart means they need help. <laughs> just see that as a distress signal and get in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the other myth that I um, help people untangle is actually related to uh, a lot of the women that come to my trainings that we're just, you know, we're just assuming that we're less good at conflict and we're actually better at it. Once we get past, again, those messages that, oh, well, you know, you're not big enough. You're not strong enough. Uh, we're, we're better at it not only because we aren't perceived to be a threat, but also because women tend to be much more global thinkers about what the situation is and not about like what the tactical and strategic needs of the situation. So we're thinking about the people. We're thinking about the needs of the people and the relationships of those people to each other. Um, and that actually gives us an advantage because we're often able to build rapport and, and help people find solutions that are, that are actually real solutions as opposed to uh, the typical kind of security tactical solutions that just kick the conflict down the road because it, it doesn't actually get gets resolved. So that's why I call it conflict resolutionary because you're, you're actually getting there and it's like, what do you need? What, you know, and most people just need to be heard in their, in their chaos. Right. Right. And I love the way you said that about how you just kind of were like sitting with them and like, what do you need? What can I help you with? And what's going on? Which doesn't seem to want to be the natural reaction when someone's angry. <laughs> you don't want to just be like, stop. Right. What do you need? Do you need a candy bar right now? <laughs> do you need, do you need <laughs> right. to go for a walk? Do you need a drink of water? <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you need to just vent it out to someone and have them not take it personally? Like, I love the way you just kind of check in with people instead of taking it personally and escalating with them. I think that's yes. a great gift that you do. It, have. it is. And those of us that were raised in households where anger was used as a form of punishment of the yeah. kids. Right. You know, we, you will have some work to do about, can I be safe in the face of that anger? But what's beautiful about getting in, in the face of that is that you kind of figure out what your triggers are and those triggers tell you, oh, I guess I need a little healing there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> time, to, time to go work on my stuff. <laughs> time to go work on my stuff. I love that. And I think the typical thing I could see is just how moms, you know, they get through the day and they, and, and just things kind of pile on them and the kids, mm -hmm. this and that, and the dinner and the job and just the stuff. And by the end of the day and husband comes home and they kind of erupt on dad and hubby just because he's there. Yep. Right. You yep. see that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's like, he's like, what did I do? <laughs> you know, Cause he's just kind of the innocent mm -hmm. bystander and all this, because I think we do, we kind of can tolerate so much and we mm -hmm. take it out on that one person we're most comfortable with 
releasing the person that we feel safest with is the one that just bears the brunt gets the worst yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so what are you saying we could do different in that case then well for the, the first thing is to be aware of your stress level right like i used to just tell my kids when they were really getting under my skin it's like I'm going to give myself a timeout. Yeah. And I noticed that when I started doing that, I was less likely to take out my tension on them and less likely to be really punitive in their direction. Cause you know, they're just being kids. Right. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, so, so I, I teach people like how to look at your stress level and what are the signs and knowing your own kind of, little, Triggers. little pinches that yep. get you over the edge. Um, and a lot of those pinches relate to insecurities that we have, you know, messages that we've gotten, um, especially as a parent, you know, moms have all of this really crazy set of expectations for ourselves that are not realistic, you know, and you know, this as a, as a working mom, you just know, like <laughs> you are, you are holding much more about that household's function and those kids' well-being than anybody else's. Yeah. It's just, it comes with the internalized oppression that is being female in this country. And like getting getting support and getting getting more grounded in reality in that is just really critical. Because even when the supportive partner does come home, the chances are they probably aren't going to get it to the same level, unless they're the same gender issue, they're, they're probably not going to get all of the pointy, sharp objects <laughs> that are going through your mind right now about your complete and utter failure as a parent. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's so true. A lot of it is in our mind. And I love that you bring that up because we kind of do need to step away from the situation. And in the moment, it feels like this mountain. It feels like this Mm -hmm. thing that we have to get done. And we've got to get the kids here and do this and make this and be that. And it's like, it's nice as I'm an empty nester now to be able to look back and go, okay, none of that stuff was really all that important. And I got really uptight about stuff that I probably didn't need to get so uptight about. Because now I'm a lot more relaxed. And when my grandkids come over, I'm like, it's fine. It's great. You know, let's get the Play-Doh out. I wouldn't do that with my own kids, but, you know, it's okay with the grandkids. <laughs> so I think it's a different thing where you can kind of relax a little bit more. And I wish I would have done that better in the moment as a busy mom to just mm-hmm. realize that a lot of it really isn't as big as I'm making it out in my head that it is, or even as important as I'm making it out that it is. And just relax a little bit and enjoy the ride a little bit more. Yeah, I think we all have those regrets when we look back at that kind of triggered version of ourselves. Um, And what I tell people is once we go there, biologically, we're pretty worthless for at least 20 minutes. Wow. And and so we look back at those 20-minute plus episodes of our lives, and we just really pick on ourselves like, oh, I was this and I was that and da-da-da-da-da. And I just say, yo, you know what? It's all biological. You were under the influence of your adrenaline. And, you know, you did not sign up for that cocktail. It just came implanted. You are not at fault. Just know the signs before it gets there next time. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. Know the signs. Yeah. You know your limits. We all have those. We know mm. our max, you know. So I think that's great to kind of catch it before it gets. And sometimes it's planning ahead, too. 
I think that's mm-hmm. one of those ways that we can kind of catch those limits is just looking ahead Definitely. at the day, kind of getting ourselves a little bit more organized so we don't have that breaking point at the end of the day. Yeah. And we all have those places that are kind of our Velcro little yeah. spots that just, you know, like for me, it's not having enough food on board. Yeah. Um, sure. or be. having two back to back of a schedule. Like yeah. if I don't have any breathing time in my schedule, <laughs> that's a sign <laughs> that I'm more likely to go there. Yep. That you can keep it all built up and then somebody's going to get it at the end. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. So we know what they are. So we might not think we know what they are, but we know what those things are that bury us a little bit, that make us trigger to -hmm. make us want to show that anger a little bit more readily to the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to watch ourselves. Okay. Good tip. I love that. Well, I think one of the things that you bring up, Heidi, which is really smart, is that a lot of times when a conflict or a hostile hostile situation is in front of us, we immediately think it's about us. We immediately think, I did this. I did something wrong. And 90% of the time, that's not true. 90% of the time that if if we have the reserves enough on board to say, hey, what's going on here? What, what do you need right now? It will have nothing to do with us at all. If we just give ourselves permission to ask the question and just notice how many of those answers are about this person's unmet need and totally interior to them. Interesting. And also to ourselves, our unmet needs. Mm-hmm. If we're getting angry at ourselves or angry at our situation that we're in, then we can use that and check ourselves, right? And just go, hey, exactly. what do you need right now? Do you exactly. need that candy bar, that nap, well, or do you need that break? Do you need that support? Mm-hmm. What do you need right now? What's mm-hmm. really upsetting you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good key. That's a good key question to check ourselves. What do you need right now? And then check with other people when you see that they're escalating. What do you need? Which is so interesting because it's easier to want to take offense to somebody else's behavior when they start Mm -hmm. escalating and it's your neighbor and they're getting in your face about something and you wouldn't just want to stop and be like, what do you need right now? You know, what's what's going on? You know, what's really bothering you? Because my dog barking is probably not the whole problem here. Uh Uh Right? Yeah. Or, or even to be more conciliatory saying, yeah, I'll check in with my dog, but is there anything else you need right now? I'm just curious. Because uh-huh. normally you have so much bigger of a smile than you have right now. Is there anything else? You know, just like be that positive reflection back. Yeah. Yeah. I love and, that. And yeah, it just takes the wind out of, out of their grumpy sails when yeah. somebody, when somebody just recognizes that you're not your, not your usual happy self right now. That's okay. I'm just wondering if you need something. Wow. I love that. Even just you asking that, like right now in the interview, it's like, oh, that sounds so nice. And so <laughs> thoughtful and so caring. Like, yeah. how would it be if we walk around being more like that? And, and you nailed it, Heidi, just saying, wow, I could do that for myself. Because yeah. once you do it for yourself, it gets a lot easier to do it for somebody else. That's true. But we tend to not really check in with ourselves. We tend to just keep muscling through and we've got this mm-hmm. and just keep hating our lives and hating every situation we're in and not really knowing exactly what we need and what's really wrong 
could be something we're carrying from an experience a while ago that's just still eating away at us or a, or a loss that we're dealing with or just something that's a little overwhelming. It's yes, just affecting sure. our day to day that we don't even realize we're still carrying even. Mm -hmm. Deep stuff. I love it. I can't believe you learned all this by helping at a homeless shelter for teenagers. Like this is so cool that you really took that lemon, that experience and that learning and are now teaching it to other people to help elevate their lives. I think that's an amazing gift that you have. Thank you. Thank you. And the good news is a lot of the young people that I met are now doing great. And I run into them time to time. And I hear stories of amazing lives since that really hard thing that happened to them. And so it's just really affirming for me that that they came through that. Wow. See, and that's the end too, with being able to see that they were able to get out of that situation and improve their lives as well that it was maybe more a temporary thing for them and not mm -hmm. their way of life forever. Right. That's amazing. That's beautiful. So what do you do now? Do people talk to you? Like, are you a coach or what exactly what's more of your lemonade now? So what I'm doing now is people hire me to come in and train their teams. Okay. So I work with everybody from the Seattle Space Needles to wineries, doctor's offices, et cetera. Because we all have team members that are dealing with hostility, bullying, harassment, um, people fighting COVID restrictions. I mean, there's so many ways that any type of public facing situation is fraught with peril these days. So it feels very good that I can take what I learned at the hands of these young people and then just share it with all of these folks who happen to have housing, <laughs> but are, you know, inviting in members of the public for what is sometimes not the best customer experience. Right. Oh, I'm so glad we need you to teach every business to do this. Yes, <laughs> that is a beautiful thing. No, I'm so glad to hear that you do that. Cause there, like you said, there's just so many things that cause contention in people's lives and even outer things, you know, like you said, COVID or other things that are just mm -hmm. causing a lot of division at workplaces. And I think we need to realize what the real core issues are and how we can communicate with each other and support each other and not escalate mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. Yeah. It, there is an art to leaning in instead of lashing out. Uh, um, but it's the timing right now is particularly perfect for that. So yeah, it couldn't be better time to learn those. I love that. Lean in instead of lash out. That's a really great way to say that because it's that kind of simple, but complicated. <laughs> like it's not what we're used to doing. So right. lean in. Well, thank you. I love it. You are just a gift and a real treat and just a light. I love learning from you. So this has been really wonderful to hear this advice you have and what you've been through. So thank you. Thank you for all of this. Oh, you're welcome. It's been such a delight to talk to you today. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. I remember saying often, well, this is just who I am. This is just how I react. This is just mm -hmm. how I act. So deal with it. You know, and I remember I was like that. I remember saying that to my husband several times, like, you know, he's like, hey, you know, why, why don't we, <laughs> why don't we see what's going on? No, this is just me. This is just my personality. Right. I'd say that. Right. Yeah. Yep, and yep. now that I realize. Probably, probably yeah. your little mammal. Yes. Like 
making her stand. Yeah, that defense <laughs> and that hurt little girl that yep. I'm still carrying that, you know, into adulthood. And I'm just going to not let anybody hurt me again. And so I'm going to be this mm -hmm. tough brat. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be yeah. not going to be very nice. And I'm certainly not going to be very happy you know mm -hmm. and and so it was nice to be able to analyze that so i love that you brought this up because i i'm connecting a lot of things now from my past too that i've i've worked through without realizing i worked through so wonderful that's good yeah, to hear this can do webinars for for teams and i also have um like digital trainings and uh, a newsletter that i send out to folks if they want to just sign up for for monthly tips and tricks Okay. Just for their own families too. Yep. Perfect. I love that. Oh, I'm so glad we can make this work. So that yes, was worth it. we Definitely. persevered. Yes, we did. <laughs> no conflict here. <laughs> I love that. I have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand. <laughs>